Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the Black Create Connect podcast, where we speak with some of the most incredible, accomplished, inspirational black entrepreneurs from all over the world. And today, I have with me someone that's been in my phone book for a long time, but we only discovered we only discovered that recently. <laughs> it's so 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 crazy. I have Philip Uder, who is the founder of Drink Feud, Brain Feud as well. Um, he also has a new CBD brand launching soon, so he'll be speaking more about that later. He's been featured in Dragon's Den, in Forbes, you name it, any more that you want to talk talk about. He's killing it, absolutely killing it. Um, so everyone, welcome. Thank you, thank you, appreciate that, oh. that intro. That's a good, I need that every day. I need to just play that every morning. Every intro. Well, it's, it's recorded now, so you can it's play it. Exactly. As soon as you wake up, how you feeling? Pretty good, pretty good. One of those weeks, a lot of action, but um, yeah, yeah, pretty good. Good to be here. Good, 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 good. Well, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it as well. Um, backstory for those that are thinking, what happened? <laughs> <laughs> First of all, how did you find out about Black Crate Connect? So I think either yourself or somebody, okay, um, perhaps via LinkedIn, because mm-hmm. I'm quite active on LinkedIn, mm-hmm. may have messaged me and said, hey, do you want to join this group? Uh, and that's how I've been I part see. of the Black Crate Connect whatsapp group chat oh i see um, i see but yeah so probably been on there for more than a year yeah like and then we were at the networking event where i was a speaker yeah. that was um the kickback i think um kickback hq is their instagram but quick plug yeah um but yeah i was we, i was speaking at their event and then we spoke yeah and then we were like yes let's connect and then I put your number in my phone. It was already there. <laughs> it was already saved. That could have been a good and thing or a bad like, thing. Oh, okay. And then we were like, let's go to WhatsApp and see what our conversation has been. <laughs> Both of us just thinking, hopefully this doesn't go left. And uh, yeah. yeah, it was basically it to do with. <laughs> it didn't go left. It was fine. It was to do with the, the platform um, that yeah. you created. So yeah. yeah, and I think it's a really fantastic networking platform. I'm sure your followers know all about it already. Um, yeah. But yeah, I guess that's how we kind of connected, like recircled back. Exactly. exactly exactly well thank you for um for being a part of it as well so i want to get on to, to drink feud and your journey with it but before i do there's something i do with all my guests here mm. i get a bit nosy i get into their background <laughs> i get go. into their Let's childhood go. so tell us in a roundabout way just give us an introduction to to who you are your background where you were raised where you were born let's just start off there take take okay. over okay so um yeah, my background. So I was born in King's College Hospital. Okay. My dad um, came to London. Actually, he came like in the 70s. Um, and then he was an engineer. My dad passed away last year. I'm sorry um, to hear. So last time he was just 80. Um, I say just 80. It's that, that's reasonably, a great reasonably age. a good age. Yeah. A reasonably good age. Um, so yeah, he, he, we lost him last year. And um, so he came to London. He had eight children in total. Um, <laughs> two wives. He's he was married once. And then I'm the first of like his second batch of, of children. Wait, was did he have two wives simultaneously? No. Oh, okay. No. He had a divorce. So he okay. was married, had three children, okay. got divorced, then had us five. Okay. So I'm the oldest of five. Um, we grew up in Brixton. 
Um, so yeah, I went to a primary school in Brixton Hill and every Saturday morning, Brixton Market, that was my kind of life. Um, and then we moved to North London and yeah, I guess my journey is, is that I went to university. I went to London School of Economics. I saw that, yeah. Um, so I've been in London my whole life, didn't go anywhere for, even for university. Mm. Um, and yeah, I, I have sickle cell. So this is a big part of my journey mm. of having a brand mm. is basically, you know, sickle cell. Um, for those who don't know too much about sickle cell, mm. it's a red blood cell disorder. It's hereditary. Um, that means it comes from your genetics that are passed on from your parents. So both of my parents passed on this gene. So I have sickle cell. It means mm. my red blood cells are not round. Mm. They should be round and smooth mm. and donut shaped. Mm. Instead, mine is shaped like a sickle. So if you mm. think of like, the kind of crescent moon type of shape. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's how it is. And that can cause your red blood cells to not carry enough oxygen. It can cause them to to not have a long enough lifespan. So I, I've lived with pain from your whole life. a young age. Yeah, absolutely. From my, my whole life. Um, for as long mm. as I can remember, I've always had episodes um, which mm. are called crisis, mm. um, which are just extremely, extremely painful. Mm. And so that has been a big part of my journey. Um and particularly, I would say, in my kind of professional life mm. where, you know, because I didn't really get into coffee, I was like looking for, well, what's a healthy version of like a Red Bull or a mm -mm. Monster or whatever. And actually, that's kind of led me to say, actually, I can create something mm. myself that mm. can benefit me. Mm. So I literally created this product for my own purposes. Mm. So... Going back, and I'm mm. going to um, get on to drink food yeah. as well, because I've, I think it's incredible that you've created this, not even just for those with sickle cell, but for example, like myself, mm -hmm. I really shouldn't have any coffee because of particular health conditions that I have as well. I've been advised by herbalists, stay away from caffeine, stimulants, mm. all of that. So I'm like, how am I going to get energy? So this is even good for people like myself who don't just necessarily have so to have... So we do use caffeine. Oh, However, okay. Never mind. Scrap <laughs> that. We do use caffeine, <laughs> but we use a more natural form of caffeine. Okay. So there's a plant called guarana. Guarana okay. is like a kind of, it's from South America. It's like right. a natural plant-based caffeine. Right. Um, and we also use caffeine from green coffee as well. So that's the coffee before it's black, before it's roasted and it turns black. It's actually green. It's a natural right. plant-based um, okay. source of caffeine. So we use natural sources of caffeine. I don't know if so you it can could have be it still. I don't know. But I'll go back to my herbalist. sensitive to caffeine probably you shouldn't if you are sensitive i have to speak to my herbalist yeah, because okay, i don't yeah. I, I don't know yeah he just said just of just to try to avoid it when you can of course there's so many things that are similar like yeah, alcohol yeah, that yeah, i drink um so it's not that serious it's not that deep but sure. it's a preference but anyway yeah. going back so you said that mm. um sickle cell affected you from when you were young right absolutely um when did you first realize okay i have sickle cell when you was younger so you when were you first told mm. and um how did that affect you kind of in social interactions in school um and of course naturally like with sickle cell they're told that potentially your lifespan might be shorter yeah, than yeah. others so sure. again like how did you view your future what did you think your future would look like yeah. knowing that you had this yeah that's really really um <laughs> really good 
um, questions. This is now we're going into therapy session here. <laughs> Don't worry. Don't cry. But yeah, no, no, it's important yeah. because, you know, from a young age, I would just have these pains. So, you know, I remember sometimes because the pains can like affect the joints. So mm. particularly um, at times for me, it would be like in my knees mm. or the base of my spine or like sometimes in the shoulders or even just the arms. And I remember just as a child, sometimes like just being in so much pain that I would have to just hold my arm up like this, just for like the blood to like flow down a bit. Really? You know, just so just to release the pain a little bit. And, you know, I remember having days off school, my mom bringing me Lucozade and these kind of things, you know, so yeah, I definitely have that memory. Um, and I was a, probably a bit more sick as a younger child. Um, you know, had a couple of times of being in hospital as well that I remember. Um, but then as a teenager, it affected me less. And so okay. I went from being that child where my mum was just very like, oh, it's too cold outside. Stay inside. Oh, don't run too fast. Oh, don't do the, mm. you know, those kind of like restrictions um because obviously she's worried that she doesn't mm. want me to get sick she doesn't want me to to experience pain or to mm. have a crisis um and so yeah like you know i grew up with that type of thing i think mm. it definitely does have an impact mm. on you because or it had an impact on me because you know potentially it makes you less although i have learned to take risks but it kind of does make you more risk averse Mm. Um, because you know, in the back of your mind, you have that voice saying, "Oh, don't, don't run too fast. Don't go out. It's too cold. Don't do this. Don't mm. do this." Mm. Um, so I think in my teenage years, then I kind of got into this thing of, "Oh, actually, I need to do everything. I need to experience life. Experience life. Yeah. I need to drink alcohol. I need to go out. I need to get hench. Those days I got hench, and then at the time, um, you know, this was when I was like in university, I had a serious crisis mm. I had pneumonia I had kidney failure what? yeah I was in intensive care for like three weeks I had dialysis almost died basically and yeah I was in North Middlesex hospital for about four weeks four and a half weeks which was that's a long time to stay in hospital um particularly if you're really really ill I was really ill um and so, yeah, you know, that was like a wake up experience. Like, wow, this thing can kill me <laughs> if I'm not, you know, if I'm not careful. And so my, you know, that was kind of a point where I started a journey of, okay, well, let me research into different herbs and let me start taking things like CMOS and ashwagandha and spirulina and chlorella and ginseng and, you know, take calcium supplements and other mm. vitamins you know so those are all the things that and those knowledge kind of i applied a lot of those things even to like the products that i've launched is you know really trying to understand about yeah like you know it's good to be take precautions mm. but even with sickle cell you can live a very full life as long as you're willing to to really take precautions and give yourself the maximum nutrition in terms of supplements, vitamins, mm. the food you eat. I eat so much green salads, like every day. That's my lunch, like rocket salad and avocado. Every day? <laughs> every Well, when I'm in the office, mainly, that's my lunch. I mm. have like 
bag of rocket and then I'll have some protein sauce or something else with it. Um, and yeah, that, you know, that, that's kind of the key thing that I found is actually by changing my lifestyle, then it gives me more confidence, mm. you know, by being active, you mm. know, by practicing yoga, Tai Chi, doing my press ups, you know, just getting back into the gym now, <laughs> all I'm those your. things, <laughs> all those things give you confidence. Yeah. Um, and so with that confidence, then you feel like, oh yeah, I can do this. I can do that. You know, you can push yourself beyond where you think the boundaries are in your mind. Mm. But I think, yeah, it has affected my character and I think it might have potentially made me want to kind of be a people pleaser really what by yeah. having sick yourself yeah because you know you have that thing in your head that actually i need to be safe so as part of being safe i can't really get too angry with people or i can't really tell them my true feelings on certain things if things go wrong or if people say certain things or do certain things maybe I, i'll just keep it inside because i don't want to be too confrontational i don't want to have a fight i don't want to be you know that's nothing mum said to me. Don't fight. Don't go to school and fight. <laughs> That's good advice. You know? But then my, my question is, what does that do for you? If you mm. feel like someone's hurt you, upset you, yeah. and you're not vocalising it, and they continue to do that, is oh, that yeah, doing more harm than good? It. Absolutely. It's, it's, it's the wrong approach. Sometimes, and I think, you know, particularly for little boys, you know, to tell them not to fight, I think that's probably wrong. That's probably a safe time for young <laughs> for young children. To fight with no consequences. Yeah, to fight and just, you know, like to learn how to resolve conflict because I don't think the fighting element is actually wrong or even having arguments with people or confrontations is necessarily wrong um, because once you have those type of interactions, mm. you can probably then work through it, you know, assuming people are, are able to then be reasonable and move beyond that. And sometimes you can't. And if you mm. can't move beyond it, you can't. And that's, you know, where you might draw a line on, on certain relationships and certain, um, you know, engagements that you have. So, yeah, I, I feel like it's definitely something that I've been working on as part of my character mm. um, building is to try and build those muscles around conflict, around um, pushing myself out of my comfort zone. Um, it's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting you're saying that. How do you cope as a founder? How big is your company now? How many employees do you have? So, pandemic hit us. We had about four full time team members. We're mm. down to two. Okay. Um, but we're still building. And right now, it's not just about having a big, a big team. team. Yeah, yeah, it's not about agile. that. So, you know, we use freelancers in terms of design stuff that we need and mm. for social media stuff and for PR stuff. So mm. yeah, we prefer to be light and more agile right mm. now. Mm. Um, but yeah, in terms of the company, you know, we've raised probably in the last four years around 850,000 um, pounds. That's excellent. Well done. The brand. Um, we're still not making a profit. However, you know, we're kind of, we're on a journey where we've developed a product mm. um, and, you know, to kind of get a product that's new from zero to get it out there, mm. particularly in a crowded space where you've got loads of other loads competitors as well, other competitors. And there's quite a few competitors also trying to do the healthier Red Bull alternative. Mm. So that's really quite a challenging space. So go, going back a little bit. Yeah. So I know uh, the reason why I asked you is how do you manage conflict? 
conflict, well, dealing with conflict whilst you have freelancers, employees, people that you work with. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's had there's tough conversations you've had to have. Oh, yeah, of course. of course. How do you approach those if that's something you're working on? So I think for me, what I always try and do is um, to give feedback, I think is, is really important, like giving feedback, but trying to give balanced feedback. So, you know, nobody's really terrible all the time mm, you know some mm. people are good at some things they're mm. bad at some things mm. and so for me that balance has always been kind of how do you give mm. some good feedback mm. so here's some good feedback oh yeah you did this really good but actually you didn't do that <laughs> really good and um you know there's a practice we started actually in one of our previous offices where we would have this session at the end of the week which was called the good the bad and the ugly and we'd have to feedback what was good in the week oh yeah that went really well that one really well. oh you did this really great oh that person did that really great what was bad oh this was bad yeah actually that could have gone a lot mm. better i didn't do this or i made a mistake or this couldn't and then the ugly which was hey i didn't like it when you did that <laughs> please don't things do that again. might evoke emotion yeah that was really difficult challenging Mm. things and just creating a space for that to happen Mm. um so that whole good the bad the ugly that was a really good tool um that we would use and just creating like a safe space look say anything Mm. like this is the space if you want to criticize me you know don't see me as oh well philip's the boss so we Mm. can't no criticize me Mm. tell me if there are things that happen you didn't like tell me if there are things you want to see differently um, and I think creating that space was also a really good way to resolve certain conflicts and flag up certain issues in a way that didn't create that. You know, there's a certain energy of particularly, you know, I haven't had a lot of experience like in these type of places, like corporate places, but where, you know, your manager says, look, I need to see you in my office now. Come in, and then it's like, oh, this charge. Yeah, and it's oh, quite tense. Yeah, what have I done? I've done something wrong. What's, mm. You know, what's going to happen? You know, and then mm. people get, and there is that culture. You know, mm. particularly if you're in the city or if you're in, you know, certain types of industries, there's a culture of, you know, mm. giving people like a dressing down, like a, and that's not for me personally. That's not my style. Uh, maybe it's because of my, <laughs> yeah, maybe of my nature. Of, yeah. Um, but also I feel like it's not also like if you want to build productive relationships with people. It's not that's not some okay. other way. Yeah. yeah, it isn't. I've I've learned that in, in my own experience as well at work. Mm-hmm. When I've re- realized that um I've been dealt with differently by different directors and I've be, I've given feedback in different ways and I, the response is always much more positive when it's dealt with in a calm, respectful way, mm. even if this person messed up, mm. or in, even if I messed up, when I'm dealt with dealt with in a more understanding, calm yes. way, I want to do better because Absolutely. I feel really bad. <laughs> so, so yeah. yeah, so that's the right approach, mm. I think, in general. But just taking it back a bit, so mm-hmm. I don't want to brush over the fact that you had, you was basically near death, right? Yeah. And not a lot of individuals I don't have statistics, but I, I, I can't imagine many people have gone through that and had experiences mm. where they've been literally almost near death. Yeah. yeah. Now, I have t- a couple of questions in regards to that. Yeah. Do you think if that didn't happen, mm. you wouldn't have created this brand? First question. Okay. Um, and second question is, yeah. how immediately after you kind of recovered from this recover from the situation i know you said you had to make some life changes yeah. but 
what other mental changes did you make? Because apart from health, yeah. I'm sure when you've been at a near-death experience, you might start reevaluating everything. Yeah. You might not, but did it's you? Really interesting, really interesting because, yeah, like, so I had an experience where I was, I think, like, I basically, we were planning as a group of friends to go to Ayanapa. So this was like the whole thing. That, that was like, a thing back in the day to do. That was a thing. FYI, guys. Thing. Exactly. If you know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so we know. Um, so yeah, I was planning this trip, uh, like a boys' trip. I was one of the main organizers, and then I just was like, I just felt ill. Like I just felt this was about let's say a week or so before I was due to go. I felt ill. I just felt like really weak and tired, and then, you know, I was just like, just felt. You know when your energy levels just go to zero and I was just like lying. This is actually on the living room floor. I was so hot and I just took off what I was wearing. I was lying there on the floor and my mum was like, okay, we're calling the ambulance. You know, my, my parents were like, let's call the ambulance. So they called the ambulance and literally I can only just remember waking up in hospital, being like, what's, what's going on? And then I had like, you know, my mum there and my auntie, my mum's sister who kind of, you know, almost like a second mum kind of to me. Both of them were just there and I woke up looking at them like, oh, you guys are here. And then, you know, mm. um, you know, you didn't, I didn't really realise what had transpired, how seriously ill mm. that I really was. Mm. Um, you know, I had a tube in my neck to, for food, like, you know. I'm guessing like, you couldn't speak, got, of like, course. A little scar. Um, I, I could speak, yeah, a little bit. I could speak, yeah, mm. yeah. But I wasn't able to just like jump up and talk and, mm. you know, move. Like I was in intensive care on dialysis, you know, I remember feeling that feeling of like, because dialysis basically means when your kidneys are not working, you have to bring the blood mm. out of your body. Mm. It goes through a machine to filter it and clean mm. it and bring it back into your body. Mm. And that cold feeling, because that machine was, you know, it wasn't, Whoa. I think now it heats the blood when it brings it back in. Those days you didn't have that kind of thing. It was just like, oh, that shiver of like cold blood. Well, I've, I've had a blood transfusion before as well. Yeah. So when I had that, I remember being like, this is freezing. This is cold. horrible. It's yeah, a horrible yeah, feeling. Yeah. Oh, but yeah. So dialysis and that machine and then you're in intensive care. And I remember looking the guy next to me and they put him into like a, a bag like that. There's one big gray bag. And I was like, what's going on? And they're like, yeah, he's he passed away. And he was on dialysis as well. I was on dialysis. He was on dialysis. And he passed away in that intensive care in that period. So what was going on through your mind at that time? It's just, I mean, I never believed I would die. Like, I didn't even consider it. I thought I was still going to iron up, if yeah. I'm honest. I was like, yeah, look, I need, it's happening. I need to, you need to hurry up because I need to go to iron up next week. And they were looking Can like, you imagine? Yeah, so they were looking like, yeah, okay, you're going <laughs> to, don't worry, we'll sort it and then, yeah, I soon realized, oh, shit, I'm not going to go. And actually, I'm really sick. And the funny thing is, you know, is I didn't realize how bad I was. Mm. Do you get what I mean? Like, mm. you're in hospital, you're having all these, these like, tubes and bloods coming mm. out and all this. I just didn't realize. And then I, there was a, a time where, you know, this was, like, CD era. Someone brought me a CD. I looked at the CD and I looked in the cd you know the back of the cd is like a kind of reflection it's clear reflective and i looked at my face in the mirror and i thought shit i look fucked like bad <laughs> like i looked really that was when it hit me like oh shit i'm actually sick i'm really I sick. sick yeah really like i was look really really bad and you know 
Um, those days I was hench, actually. Um, not hench anymore. <laughs> <laughs> you have to clarify we'll that. There. I know we'll what hench there. means. We'll get there. We'll get there. <laughs> but Sam. yeah, so I was like 12 and a half stone, maybe 13, towards 13 stone. I went down to eight stone. So I was like, everything, all my weight just went off me. Okay. And so, you know, even that thing of like physically mm. looking com- and feeling completely different, mm. you know, the clothes I would wear and, you know, all that just, that was a big shock um, mm. to my system and something that, yeah, it took me, I think, a long time to really come to terms with and to, yeah, I guess almost rebuild my confidence again and then funny enough from i say it's funny it's not really funny <laughs> it's more sad but actually after that maybe like about six months later um i started having like a little pain in my hip like a little kind of mm. pinching pain and i was just like oh i literally had done a run me and my brother had my younger brother had done a run like lap around the block where we used to live like or the streets around where we used to live. And then I was sprinting back. I'd actually beaten my brother, you know. <laughs> yeah, I was, he had I was to happy. put it out there. I was happy with that. And then I felt this pinching. I was like, what's going on? Why is this feeling like a pinching here? I didn't understand. I was this pinching. Within a week, I couldn't get up. I was bedridden. I was lying down, bedridden. Um, and then within a few more weeks, I was probably diagnosed and they said, oh, you've got something called avascular necrosis. It's basically like a really aggressive form of arthritis, which attacks the hip joint. So- Wow. Is that triggered from sickle cell or is that something separate? Absolutely. It's due to sickle cell. So due to sickle cell, you know, you've got your hip is like a ball and socket joint and that socket like they're supposed to be smooth and move relatively easy. That's how your kind of joints move. Mm. Um, And with sickle cell, the flow of blood to the top of the femur, which is like basically the top of your your hip, Mm. the flow of blood gets compromised and then the bone starts to degrade and the cartilage starts to degrade. And then all of a sudden your round, smooth hip is now collapsing and it's painful and it's stiff and it's sore. And yeah, basically I kind of had to then adjust to living a life constantly in pain day to day. And at that time, hip replacements weren't really like... A thing. It was a thing, but it was more of a thing for older people. You know, when you're 20 and they say to you, oh, you're going to need a hip replacement on both hips within 18 months. You said no. I said no. I said, <laughs> I said I'm not doing it. Have you still said no today? So... I had to have one of my hips replaced last year because um, basically um, what happened is the pandemic and through not being so active Mm. and not moving so much, my pain levels just went up and I was like, look, I've had enough. And then I started speaking to like different consultants and another friend of mine who's a surgeon. um, And he said, look, right now hip replacements are so far ahead of where they were like, you know, hip replacements now. And so I've had this right joint. My hip is replaced. I've got titanium with like industrial ceramic. It feels really good. So would you get the other one? Planning to. Okay. (laughs) Planning to. So that should happen before the end of this summer. Okay. Well, that's good. So yeah, my target was to be at carnival, to be like, 
to be to be able to to wind, to wind your waistline yeah, with your titanium yeah, hips. Of, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> lifting people like people say, "Why is that guy lifting?" Because <laughs> no, I've got titanium that's hips. Well, exactly. That's what I mean. Okay, um, perfect. But yeah, so that was a process of really living with day to day pain. Um, wow. And so that really meant for the last 10, 15 years, really ibuprofen every, every day. day. So t- talk to me about. Um, when you started this, I know that it was triggered, obviously, by sickle cell. Yeah. You, and uh, this happened after you had the near-death experience. Yeah. What was the process in you starting in drink food? Just The process, um, just dealing with chronic fatigue every day. Mm. That's another part of sickle cell is your energy levels are just low, generally. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I kind of um, was always looking for, like, different health products that I could use to boost my energy, ginseng, which is in now it's in the products, mm. um, you know, things like magnesium, which is in the products, but, you know, different types of, um, you know, things that I could use to kind of just boost up my energy levels. And so, yeah, I, I was thinking about, well, is there a healthier version of Red Bull out there? Mm. And um, at that time, there wasn't a lot, basically not in like every supermarket. Mm. So I was like, look, let's, do this like i went on google typed in food technologists in london and then got a list of people this is a sunday afternoon i always tell this story sunday afternoon i saw it in forbes when i read articles yeah so i was literally just like on google and i just called someone i said look your number came up sorry it's a sunday are you able to have a quick chat he was like oh i'm always working there's a guy called brian smith he's now deceased Brian Smith he's now passed away but he was like one old school kind of food technology kind of guy so he came to London brought his friends to meet you um, yeah, yeah I mean I paid them I yeah paid amazing them like about two and a half grand for a day session to do what it was like to do what that's a good question it was like brainstorming around different functionality of the product right how it could look okay if it's going to be a drink then is it like a smoothie is it like a milkshake right. is it like a soft drink just ideas can i taste what mine kind of, please do it absolutely <laughs> i just talking i'm like absolutely. and it's cold as well Go so ahead. i want to taste ahead. it too yeah i mean that was basically mm. the start of the whole journey was um you know meeting these guys then we worked with like a marketing agency then we got involved with like wait what's what's the timeline of these things so so this is from i had the idea from like 2015 okay so i did 2015 called the food technologist yeah that was in late 2015 okay then we worked with like a marketing agency i paid like too much money sometimes you know people sell you this dream of oh yeah we can give you like a whole business don't worry we can make a whole brand the whole product every we'll sort it out actually they can't really no one can really just give you a brand right um you have to kind of put your own spin into things so you just have to do work absolutely absolutely so they they kind of gave us a load of brand names and then for me it was just like okay actually I like the name Brain Food. At that time, it was Brain Food. It mm. was F-U-D with the mm. umlauts on the U, mm. the two dots on the U, which could be mm. seen as a smiley face. Some people mm. see it and say, oh, is that a smiley face? Very I'm unique. Like, yeah, it is. <laughs> you're thinking, you think. It wasn't supposed to be a smiley face. It's like people can see that. So like, the brand is great, though. I think the brand is very recognisable. It's really good. Well, thank you. Thank so they helped you with you. this? 
No, that was my idea. That was my idea. So yeah, they so kind of did some work um, to help us with generating different names. And they did, we literally did like consumer testing, which was like paying two groups of 10 people to actually like sit in a room, see a presentation, taste random samples of products, give their feedback, blah, blah. Paid like about six grand just for some consumer set. One evening of consumer. I could have gone to like the pub or gone to like yeah. a co-working space or whatever yeah, and said, hey guys, I'll give you all 20 quid if yeah. you sit with me and have a talk about Why did product. you do that? Or fa- family members? It's or- just you don't, you know, sometimes you don't think always think that you can just do stuff. Yeah. You kind of think, oh, well, you've got a marketing agency. You must know what to do um but i guess from there you that learn. was the start mm. and then i started learning actually it's not sustainable to to kind of just keep on paying thousands of pounds to people f- to do stuff that i could do myself so mm. you know at, at a certain point i then started getting my own designers i'd go on a platform at that time people per hour still on um okay. fiverr fiverr people know. five squid was another one back in the day five squid okay yeah. <laughs> but things like that where yeah. you can find people who will do designs for you they'll give yeah. you generate you know they'll generate ideas and designs mm. and brand concepts and you pay the hundred pounds that like you pay like cheap you know exactly you're not pay a lot of money um question yeah. did you have a full-time job whilst you was doing this so i was running a social enterprise Okay. So at that time, I was still entrepreneurial, running like a social enterprise. And that was generating profit? Space. Yeah, that was generating enough money for me to continue. So okay. um, at that time, we were doing, and we still do like projects like in schools, mm-hmm. um, in other kind of youth settings, but mainly we focused on projects which looked at black history, black, well, particularly black British. History. Um, history. Okay. Um, so, for example, right now, um, there's a project we're working with a school in Lewisham. Um, and that's about black British people in business, but 200 years ago. Mm. So, we're looking at I like that. people like John Archer, who some people will know him as um, the first mayor, or so, so called, said to be the first black mayor. Sometimes they say people are the first, but they may not always really be the first. Yeah. They might just be the first documented or yeah. the first popular one that's known. Mm. But actually, black people have been here doing a lot of stuff for many hundreds of years that we don't know about. Mm. Um, so people like John Archer, we followed, who had um, a photography studio in Battersea. Okay. Um, and he later became the mayor of Battersea um, and was very instrumental in politics and public life. People like Caesar Picton. Caesar Picton. I'm learning here really too. Interesting character. <laughs> and Caesar Picton, he was like, you know, enslaved African who was given his freedom. Um, but then he went on to get like a, um, you know, you know, when someone dies, they give you a legacy. So he ended up having some money and he became a merchant. And he was in um, Greenwich and he built a business and became like a wealthy gentleman in his time um a merchant what's a merchant merchant so to do with like trading oh and, like, to okay do with, like you know at that time london of course was the biggest port city mm. um in the, it was like a hub globally for mm. like trade and all that so mm. yeah black people were, were here not as slaves doing things mm. in the last two three hundred years and so it's really important to share those stories and, and schools and stuff like that. So that was what I was doing. And and you still kind of 
and I'm still kind of involved well. in that. Yeah, I'm not so delivery oriented, but I'm more in terms of like deliver, you know, project ideas and grant applications and so on. So I'm going to get onto the journey in a second, but just mm. whilst we're on the topic of entrepreneurship, yeah. have you ever had a job since uni? And if so, what made you um, divert to have wanting to have your own organisation? Like what? Okay, so my first job was actually working for the Race Equality Council in Lewisham. Right. Um, so that was in like 2005. And no, actually, no, my first 2005? First job, yes. I'm older than, than you might ever know. Yeah, because I tried to, when I tried to look at the, the, <laughs> the numbers, when I tried to look at um, LSE, I was like, You're like, it's yeah. not mathy. You're like, the math is not math. How like, is this guy doing all yeah, this? Yeah, I was like, this isn't making any sense. <laughs> But okay, go on, explain. Yeah. So, um, so I actually went to CAFOD first because I did economics and economic history mm. and I did a module in international development. I was like, I want to do that. So, you know, and I had friends, even I had a girlfriend who went to like Goldman Sachs and friends who went to the city. I went to law firms. I was like, no, I want to go to like do work mm. that benefits people so mm. i went to like the charity sector worked for like um a charity called cafod which is basically if you've heard of oxfam i would just say it's like catholic version of oxfam basically mm. um i worked with them for like six months and i was like well hold on i don't think this sector is really well balanced you're sending a lot of british people from here to go to africa to mm. deliver all kinds of different projects. Why are we not just giving those people the resources to then deliver things for themselves? Mm. And then we do campaigns. And I was like, well, hold on. How come we're only talking about things like debt? And we're focusing on, um, debt is important, but we're focusing on certain types of campaigns where they would say, oh, well, China has got sweatshops. Let's focus on this. And then I was like, well, actually, how come we're not focusing on EU terms of trade where the European Union can force mm. cheap products into African markets to mm. then kill local economies and then extract resources from those economies. Mm. And you guys mm. have a platform. Don't really talk about the real fundamental things that are keeping Africa in poverty, but you focus on things which for me, and I'm, there's nothing against CAFOD, but I feel like the whole industry has to answer to government. It has to answer to big business, mm. you know, so it can't truly be as challenging or confrontational to to really push for the real change. So I left there. Then I went to um, the Race Equality Council in Lewisham at that time. It was called Race Equality Action Lewisham, real um, and I worked, I ran a youth forum. Um, so, you know, I was a relatively young person and I had like young people and we would go and work with like the police. We trained like 800 police officers around stop and search. <clears throat> we did like a stop and search documentary, young people saying their feelings on stop and search and how they felt. And so, yeah, like that journey alone was like a really, really, um, I think important one of like learning that, okay, well actually we can mobilize young people to have a voice in the local agenda around policing, around, um, you know, we would go to the head teachers meetings and present with all the head teachers in Lewisham would normally have a, a kind of monthly or mm. um, termly meeting. So we would go there and 
be part of those conversations around black pupils achievement mm. um and then yeah you know we would also do creative arts programs and so on so that kind of spun me into that space mm. and then a few years afterwards i left and started doing my own understood got you after that and so that's kind of what i've been doing along with other entrepreneurial activities mm. you know sending like tvs and fridges and things to like nigeria and ghana you know that was one business that we did i did that with a friend selling them right selling uh, them. Okay. yeah so taking things that don't really make sense in the uk because people are like i'm just gonna buy a new one no one's you know those thick tvs people would just get rid of them people just if, got rid of them if you know in my building the amount of things that people give away even i take them my, <laughs> no i have no i have no shame like yeah. from shoe racks to yeah. dining tables to coffee tables to i've got this amazing salon chair yeah. that i use in my dressing room now yeah. like i'm like you just gonna throw this away yeah, people yeah. and me too i've been guilty of throwing things away i'm like yeah. even my, my coffee machine sure. someone gave away the coffee machine because they got a new one so the reality is is that in the uk it may not cost it may not be cost effective to fix that exactly yeah electronic item whether it's a fridge tv mm. washing machine whatever it might be you might just be better off getting a new one mm. you take that to africa you take that to there's a market called alaba international in lagos this is like the the hub of all electronics markets in the whole of Africa. That is like one of the biggest. And it's in Lagos. In Lagos. Okay. But it's run by Ebos. <laughs> anyway, let's so, not get into all that. <laughs> if you know, you know. That's one of those. If you know, you know. Let's not get into all that. But that electronics market, if you bring those TVs down, it doesn't matter whether it's working or not. As long as the case and everything is intact, there are technicians who will fix it for literally Nothing. a fraction of what it would cost you to fix it in the uk right I see. and so that was an interesting business but it had to end because um yeah british authorities became quite strong on keeping these kind of products in the uk to be recycled right. so I literally smash those tvs take out all the parts that are recyclable and keep them in the system rather than exporting them right okay to africa and so on so yeah we kind of fell victim a little bit to a, different, a change in agenda okay. but yeah just i was trying stuff sometimes you yeah it's, stuff it's good to just try and, it yeah something's we have a season and then i had an idea to say oh well actually let's try this product we're still trying right now as we speak no exactly <laughs> so okay so so back to drink food yeah. so you done your research you realized you know what using these marketing agencies yeah. um isn't just the best yeah. use or spend of my money so i started to use freelancers um talk to me about the journey after that so i know at one point you um you, you managed to connect with some investors yeah. a friend told a friend told a friend yeah, talk yeah. us through that and then getting on dragon's den as well so yeah our very first investor um yeah it was literally a friend of a friend of a friend so i kind of put my product so at that time we didn't really even have products we just had like we just created an Instagram page and we would just share like some of the designs and some of the like Bye. mock-ups of stuff. And so I think I shared it on like, so I think we did a trade show and mm. we did a trade show with mm. product that was not finished product. It was mm. like just mock-up products. So I had like a, what's called a flavor house. And these are the tricks I've learned that you have people who have companies that will work on formulating your product for free 
as long as they feel like you might place an order at the end of that process. Mm. Some people will charge you, and that I initially paid like kitchen development days mm. could be two fifty a day, could mm. be more. Well, I'd just pay. But then mm. I learned, oh well, there are flavor houses who would work for me for free, and if we develop stuff mm. and I make a batch, then I've got to pay for their ingredients because they will then mm. supply me the ingredients. Mm. Right? So yeah, learning those hacks. We did a trade. Sh- we did like a trade show. And then we were on like Tesco web page. Tesco had at that time some sort of crowd mini crowdfunding page called Tesco Back It. And basically we got into Tesco Back It, not into the store, mm. but just on their little crowdfunding thing. And I think I sent it in a WhatsApp group. Mm. Um, and then someone said, oh, you should talk to my brother. My brother is into this space. And his brother is someone called Andy Ayim. Andy Ayim is very, very um, vocal. The name rings a bell, yeah. Yeah, he's really like quite, high profile he just got an mbe for his services to like entrepreneurship oh wow um so yeah he's been really 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 um important in the the kind of in the landscape and the the whole startup ecosystem and helping people to then um raise money but also helping investors to make Mm -hmm. angel invest investments particularly um black angel investors to start making investors investments into startups Mm. and how to do it through the whole EIS and SEIS kind Mm. of tax break platform. Mm. Um, So he's really doing important work. And then he introduced me to somebody else. So he was like, oh, you need to talk to this person. And then I met this person, Mandy Niako. And Mandy also is in the ecosystem of supporting startups. And she introduced me to this investor. And this investor is a guy who's like a middle aged white man. He's insurance background and we met with him in like mayfair and like one hotel kind of lobby mm. bar thing in in mayfair and we just had a chat sent up you know showed him our deck presentation and he was like i was pitching him for 150 and he was like what are you going to do if you don't get the money i was like well you know luckily enough i've got like a buy to let property i'm going to refinance it and pull out 75 grand and mm. you know pull out some money anyway and mm. do it. He mm. said, all right, look, if you back yourself, then I'll back you. And that was the deal. The deal was. So, so you, you do the refinancing? I do refinance, put in 75 grand into the business mm. account, and then he would then match it, which he did. And so okay. that was the first 150 grand that we had to then start the journey of the business. So what did you do with that money? I mean, I know that's a lot of money, but yeah. Yeah, we produced our first batch because we had already gone through the process of Mm. doing our due diligence. And, you know, we've had three different versions. So what you're seeing is the third version of the product. (laughs) You know, so we've gone through like a lot of iterations of the product. Um, And yeah, at that time it was in a plastic bottle. And even to get a manufacturer is not necessarily that straightforward. At that time, particularly as well. It was more tricky because unless you're one of the big boys in the UK, people don't really, you know, there wasn't that many startup facilities for people doing smaller batches. What was Um, a smaller batch? What was considered to be smaller? Smaller batch at that time, the smallest they would entertain. Mm. um, For us, it's a big batch, right? But for them, the smallest they would entertain would be something like 50,000 units. And that would cost roughly how much? So at that time, that was high cost of goods because we were doing small batches. That Mm. was in a plastic bottle actually at that time. So that worked out around 50p per bottle. Mm. 
including the juices and ingredients and mm. so on. So it was a v- quite different product to this, but still mm. the same type of thing. It had like stevia in it, which is like a natural right. sweetener. Um, but we took out the stevia. So we've tried to rebalance it without having a too sweet kind of mm. flavor. Um, so yeah, that was the start of the journey. Um, you know, to date we've raised you know, a lot more than, than that. We've done crowdfunding. We went on Dragon's Den. Talk to us about that. A lot of stuff. As yeah. well. So what made you first go on Dragon's Den? Mm-hmm. And what was that whole experience like for you? Um, so I was approached by Dragon's Den. Oh, they came to you? Yeah. Oh. So they Didn't know that. found our brand on like somewhere. And was like, hey, if we thought about being on Dragon's Den, I was like, hmm, okay. Mm. Probably makes sense. And then... Um, we sent the application form and I thought, okay, for good measure, I'll just send some samples to the office, to the HQ. So I sent like a case of drinks to the HQ of like the BBC studios, whatever. And then somebody calls me randomly from, um, the BBC studios was like, Hey, I just got your, I've got a case of your drinks here. Like, would you like, you know? I'm from Dragon's Den production team, blah, blah, blah. I was like, oh, yeah, we filled an application form. He was like, oh, really? I didn't see, you know, because they, they get thousands so many, of yeah, application yeah, yeah, forms. Yeah. So if you're lucky, they'll get to you and you'll get to do a screen test or whatever. If mm. you don't, sometimes you, they don't even read all the applications. Yeah. So he saw the drinks and he was like, okay, come in for a screen test. So me and at that time, you know, one of my um, colleagues, the two of us, Jess, who, you know, was my kind of initial first person, um in the business we both went did the screen test they were like you guys are great what is a screen test screen test is like they literally set up a camera <laughs> in a room <laughs> and then you've got to do like a pitch to camera right no one else there just you and the camera no well i mean the produ- you know you've the got like a there. production person there got so you. they set up a camera and then they just tell you okay take your time do your pitch and the pitch is maybe like a minute or less Okay. Um, but that's how they gauge, oh, we think this person can probably handle it being on TV and being in front of cameras and doing something when you're nervous and so mm. on. And so, yeah, we did that. And they were like, yeah, amazing. You need to come to, you know. And then we went through the whole due diligence. Dude, you know, people don't realize due diligence is a serious thing for Dragon's Den. So you got to submit a lot of things. So everything that you claim, you got to back it up. So we had to submit evidence that we were stocked in Ocado, evidence that Sainsbury's were stocking our product or were about right. to launch our product, evidence of just basically that our business is a legit business, right, right. products, certifications. That, that surprises legit me. Legit products. Yeah, because some people you might think, oh, that just sounds so random, like what they're doing. Um, but they've been checked. Um, yeah, but also yeah. some people come on and, they 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 they're not they don't have any preparation. <laughs> I'm sure you've seen pictures where you weren't prepared for this, ma'am yeah. or sir. I mean, one thing I would say is that so just on the day itself, talking about that process. Mm. So um, we were in Manchester for the studios. Um, they come and pick you up from your hotel at half five in the morning. I'm guessing they pay for your expenses. Yeah, yeah, they okay. do all that. Um, you come, they come and get your half five. And then from 6 a.m., you're basically in the studio. 
Some people are in the studio for a whole day. Like they stay there until 6 p.m. That oh might be the time goodness. they get to go into the den and do the pitch. Oh, so wow. when you see people like literally just That's get why. flustered and That's lose why. it. And so because you might have had a whole day seeing that and some people might just there's a lot of cameras like yeah, it's a TV show. Nervous, yeah. So it's one of those things where I think, you know, when we watch it, we kind of feel like, oh, yeah, why exactly. is that it's person true. all over the place? It's you true. knew you were coming to Dragon's Den. No, it's true. But you're all over the place. But actually, that person probably just was extremely nervous mm. and just numbers, everything goes out of your head. So, you know, when, when I was in the den, my focus was put the numbers into the pitch so that they get the numbers up front. Once you've said the numbers, you've said it. Then it's like, okay, now we can talk about the business. And so that was what happened. And we were in there for two hours. So being in there for two hours. Two hours? That's the <sighs> actual grilling. It was a proper grilling for two hours. And then... Two hours? Absolutely. And then in the edit, they cut down the whole edit to 15 minutes or to 10 minutes, depending uh, whether so you get a deal or not. And so for me, I was like, I'm taking a deal. And we got offered a deal from Peter Jones. And so, you know, the, the terms were not great, well, but we took the deal. So he offered us £50,000 for 30% of the business. Oh, that is, yeah. Which is low. Mm. Valuing the business, let's say just over £150,000, mm. right? Um, however, we had raised that a million pound valuation earlier that same year. This is like 2019. So the challenge was is, you know, do we take this money? And I was always told, just get the deal over the line in the studio. You can renegotiate when you come out. So I was like, look, fine, we'll take it. Shake the hand, took the deal. Everybody gave the applause, had that feeling of, wow, wasn't that great? It was, you know, it's like a adrenaline kind of, kind of buzz. Um, and then we met his team and his team only guaranteed us two things that actually you're not really going to see Peter Jones. And we're like, well, hold on. What do you mean? Like, he's our mentor. We just were with him. We took a selfie. You know, he's, he's our mentor. They were like, no, you know, you can meet, have meetings at his offices. He might come out and like say hi to your guests and whatever, but he's not really going to join you for any meetings or help you in any way. Really, Which makes sense because I've always thought that... Mm. These investors are investing in so many different businesses. Oh, yeah, sure. How can they be involved in all of them? That's fair. However, my feeling is, is that you could still say to a startup that you're invested in that, hey, actually, I need to have lunch five days a week. You know, well, let's say maybe he works through his lunchtime. I don't know. Mm. But at least a few days a week, you're going to have lunch. Mm. Join me for lunch. We'll have a catch up over lunch or we'll have a coffee or some. It could be half an hour. Just something that then helps us to have access to mm, him and his mm. ideas and his knowledge and his thinking. So there, so there was not, not even like once a quarter? They would not agree to that. Really? Once a year, they would not, not even once, once, a year. A year. once a year. So what was the value then? Is it the value from... There yeah. you go. So that's the question we were asking. Well, what's the value? And they were saying, well, there's no more money. That 50 grand is it. And we were like, well, hold on. Our next production is going to cost us about 70, <laughs> 80 grand. Yeah. We need more than that. Yeah. And they were like, well, sorry, there's no more money. And number two, we can't, really help you as well so we know Sainsbury's but you're already in Sainsbury's and so you're kind of on your own so you know that, and that's a bit pointless a little bit but you know it, it was also kind of neutral because mm. they also understood that yeah you need a lot more money than 50 grand and so it's probably not the right thing Fit, for either yeah. of us and we just after that did crowdfunding 
um, and we raised like 110,000 pounds for about 7% of the company. So how did you much, much better? <laughs> okay. So then with, obviously it gave you massive exposure because that's when I found out about your brand from Dragon's Den. I'm a massive fan. So mm. that's where I learned about it. Sure. Um, in regards to, I guess when you went into the den, mm. I can't remember how much you asked for exactly. So in the den, fifty thousand pounds. You asked for fifty thousand, yeah. and how much equity was you willing said to... we wanted it for ten percent of the company. Oh, he's cheeky. And he said, "Nope, thirty percent." You see, now there's like a new dragon. Um, what's the guy? Steve Bartlett. Yeah, who's you'd, black? You'd work <laughs> with him. He's young. I'd work with him all day long. Like he seems like he's smart and switched on, mm. and like the whole he gets the whole digital marketing kind of thing. And he's not too aggressive on valuations. Like he, I've seen he's some quite fair. deals that he's done, which are much more fair. Yeah, he's quite fair. But then would, we, would you get access to him as well? Probably not so much, yeah. but I've seen a brand, you know, actually in the drink space. So I've seen a brand who recently were on the den. Um, and yeah, they're posting selfies with him in his studio where he does his right, podcast. Right, so, so we just finished our two-hour strategy meeting. Right, with okay, Bartlett, so he's so blah. he's involved. So I, I'm assuming that yeah, that means he's definitely he's a involved. bit more hands-on than Peter Jones would have been. Okay, well, yeah. I guess people return to the den, so you never know. You never know, but my plan was to. Probably go to Shark Tank next. Go to US. Shark Tank would be fantastic, <laughs> fantastic. I love Shark Tank as well. Yeah. I actually, in a way, they prefer it, only mm. because they, you know, the UK has has a little bit of a, a conservative undertone yeah, yeah. in how they do everything. Mm-hmm. So, and I love US TV because they're just so bold with it, Absolutely. persuasive, and just, Absolutely. you know. So that would be yeah, sick. Yeah. That would be amazing for you. Mm. So, as for what it is today, yeah. um, where so people can find it in Martha Spencer's. Sainsbury's. No, no longer um, in Sainsbury's. No, not in Sainsbury's anymore. Okay. So yes, M and S. We're in about 130 stores. Okay. Um, Amazon. Gyms. Mm-hmm. We're in like gym box. If you go to Soho House, um, you're there as well. We're in the gym section in Soho House. Okay. Some of the houses anyway. And yeah, it's it's still a baby brand. That's the reality. But it's doing well, and I think you should acknowledge that. I mean, I think it's you growing. have. Yeah. We're, yeah. We're, we're getting there. It's yeah. a journey, but. I'm under no illusion that it's a smooth journey. And, you know, on that basis, I'm also looking at, well, actually, what are the other things that we can still do in the meantime? Mm. Because if you've got a business that's actually making losses, you're depending on raising investment on exactly. a basis. And it's getting harder to raise investment. Yeah. Particularly the longer your company has been around. Has been alive because people expect, well, Hold on, you've been trading for four years. Why? You're still on six figures of income. You should be on seven. You should be a million pound yeah. turnover by now. Yeah. Actually, it's not that easy <laughs> to just jump, you know, a business yeah. from zero to a million. That's probably the hardest journey. Yeah. You know, from a million, let's say to five million might mm. be a lot easier um, than getting that first traction for the brand. Because you just got to get that it's, initial it's, traction. Yeah. So... Is that what you what you would say is your blocker as to why you're not making a profit at the moment? Um, yeah, I mean, in this business, it's a volume business. Mm. And until you get to large volume, like if you're in, let's say, 200 stores, um, which is our situation, like it's very different to being in 2,000 stores. Mm. Very different to being in 10,000 stores. Right, right, right. The game you're playing is bigger. Is 
whole so, different game. So how does it work getting into Souls? I don't understand, obviously, that type of game. I'm not in that business. So yeah. do you do they pay you? You pay them? Is there a percentage? Like, how does the relationship work? Yeah. Um, just if you just explain So, yeah, normally um, there are buyers, depending on your category, and the buyers will make choices as to what products they think will work within their category. So they'll have a category or, you know, with the soft drinks, you've got like a fridge or a chiller space. Mm-hmm. And they'll say, okay, well, you've got X, Y, Z, 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 the other. Red Bull, Coke, Monster, Pepsi, blah, you know, and the sub brands underneath, you know, Coca-Cola owns, let's say, Innocent mm. Smoothies. All those kind of sub brands are under there. So that a lot of that space, let's say 80% or 90% of that space is just tied up. Those brands are not going anywhere <laughs> anytime soon because they're just too big. Mm. And so um, then the question becomes, can you add value to that category? And can you convince a buyer that you're adding something different to that category? So these are the real conversations then that you start having with retailers is actually we think we're different because we can add value because we bring this market and this audience. And yeah, so if they then make a decision to say, okay, we'll give you a trial, then they'll expect a percentage. So mm. they might need 40% mm. margin on your product. So let's say- So they still buy it, buy it from you. They still buy it from us. Mm. So let's say I might sell to, let's say Sainsbury's at 75 pence. They will then add on their margin. And then the government adds on their VAT, and then to the end customer is one pound sixty. Understood. So you still, so you don't but we lose. We still get one like seventy five p out of that one pound sixty. Right, right. Do you know what I mean? But that's the value chain, and then twenty so, percent is the VAT. So do they pay you up front for for all of this? No, no. Okay, no, no. okay. You deliver product. Normally they'll give you payment terms, which might be thirty days, or it can work out some with some retailers to sixty days understood okay just a killer for your business yeah <laughs> because you need your cash to move quickly. yeah when you get to scale it, it can be different because you might be able to do Afford invoice that. financing where you can say okay we've just invoiced tesco's for a hundred thousand pounds we just need you know you can then get a service who will charge you a small percentage they might charge you one percent or two percent to then give you the cash up front mm. and then they will then take over that invoice from Tesco or Sainsbury's or whoever. Do you get what I mean? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. there are ways around it. Um, but yeah, at scale, those things can work themselves out, but it, it's still a tough business. It's still, drinks is a hard business. Um, margins are really tight until you get to like proper volume. Mm. So like a can of Red Bull can be produced for about eight nine pence let's say even let's say even 12 pence mm. you know our product here might cost 40 pence wow so we're in a whole different it's a whole different business we're in why right? because if i produce a hundred thousand cans of each flavor and red bull are producing a hundred million a year <laughs> you. of each flavor it's a whole different do you mean okay the, got, the commercials got you. just so it's not because of the actual products in there. It's both it's as well. It could us. also be um, quality of ingredients. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, particularly let's say in the last two years, you have aluminium shortages. Okay, price goes up. 
Um, mm. Brexit and shipping challenges. Okay, mm. price goes up. Mm. Shipping to America, price goes up. All mm. price goes up basically for mm. everything, mm. and so that has been really, really a big challenge mm. um, to navigate. So, what's the I guess the idol of the future for Drink Food? What can people expect from the brand going forward? Um, how can people support? Apart from Mark Spencer's, can they get some online? Yeah, Just... you can go on our website, drinkfood.com, F-U-D, remember. Um, and yeah, just buy, go to Amazon, buy the product. If it Good works for you. It works for you. It works for you. But as you can see, for those that are listening, I've actually <laughs> almost finished my drink. I've been sipping on it. Uh, you can take this and take away. Thank you. <laughs> but also, this might be a good time yes. to plug CBD. Um, a new CBD brand we're launching as part of our kind mm-hmm. of group of brands. Um, take Solace CBD coming soon. So basically, it is like a natural, I would call it like a natural ibuprofen. Can so I as I was, please do. It's like minty flavor. Um, so as I was saying to you, the, oh, oh. Wow, that's good aim. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's perfect. Um, so yeah, and it, it does provide like pain relief on the skin, like when you ah. rub it on the skin, or you can spray it under the tongue, ah. and then it basically gives you like a, a kind of relaxation and a thing. In fact, that might be chamomile. Actually, I think it smells like ganges. That's the chamomile. It smells like ganges. No, it smells like, okay, this is... I mean, um, CBD, you know where CBD comes from? Yeah, 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 I I know, I know. So because this is chamomile, Mm. you're right, it does have more of the the raw kind of hemp cannabis smell. Um, But yeah, we've got like the mint one as well. Okay. (laughs) No, this is nice. Where can people get this? Is this not out yet? It's coming soon. Okay. Uh, On Instagram, take solace, solace spelled S-O-L. Is okay. Take solace on Instagram. We'll be there soon and active soon. Um, by the end of April, we'll be live with products. Amazing. Um, but just to finish my testimonial, I've been using CBD instead of ibuprofen, right? Because of my hip pain, right? Um, for the last like five six weeks, and that is major for me because I'm normally taking you know the 200 milligram capsules, yeah. Particularly like the liquid. I like the liquid capsule, kind of gives me faster um, mm. release of the, the pain relief. But yeah, I've stopped ibuprofen because ibuprofen, you take it for 10 years, it's not good yeah. for your body yeah. at all. Yeah. Categorically not something you should do. Um, so yeah, it's been really, really um, helpful and positive for me as um, taking CBD. So hopefully other people might get some benefits um, for pain relief, but also for sleep. You know, if you suffer any kind of sleep disorder or you have problems sleeping through the night or getting to sleep at night, CBD is really helpful. Mm. Anxiety as well. Um, there's so many benefits of it. It's a natural product as well. So, it's you know, there's no pharmaceutical um, ingredients in there. It is just like a really healthy plant-based mm. um, solution. So, mm. yeah, hopefully it's going to be the next thing. Here we go. Solace. <laughs> I'll definitely be um taking something because I struggle with sleeping and sometimes the lady pains be kicking in. So this seems like it will be helpful for the lady pains. Absolutely. Um, I actually remember when I was in um California, mm. um weed is legal there, guys, so don't <laughs> so don't persecute me. And yeah, that that's something that one of the doctors prescribed when I had really severe period pains. Yeah. They said, you know, take some of that <laughs> and <laughs> and consume it how you wish, but mm. take some of that. And um 
you know, it was good. Yeah, it helped. It worked. It definitely, it helped 100%. Yeah. So mm. there is something in here that does work. And I heard that it helps as well with um, kids with ADHD as well. Yeah, I've heard yeah, about that yeah. too. Um, so yeah, this this probably have loads of, loads Absolutely. of them. Um, and the way it works as well is with the body's natural exactly um, yeah kind of hormones and mm. helps you to use your own natural serotonin mm. and the different um mm. kind of hormones in your body that can cause pain relief and mm. cause your body to relax mm. rather than the way that a lot of the drugs work is exactly they just trick the brain so they just work on like the pain receptors uh, in the brain so your body is not really regulating itself understood it's just making you feel like you're not in pain which is why as soon as it wears off you're no, back in pain you got to like keep yeah whereas this product i feel has you know a lot more kind of long-term benefits um so if you have it now you might have a benefit for the for the next couple of days yeah exactly because it's just changing the way your body works within its own Got you. Okay, okay. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing about these products that are actually beneficial health-wise and also talking about your journey so openly and candidly. Um, I appreciate it because it's not all glitz and glamours, you know, but it's a journey and you have a beautiful, really happy spirit as well. So, um, you know, I believe God's blessing you. He's got calling for you. So, um, so continue and you look really well as well. Thank you so much. You do. I'm trying. I'm trying. <laughs> it's not easy. <laughs> you look well. It's not easy. We're getting there. And I really appreciate you. And the work you're doing to build your platform is fantastic. Okay. So thank you. Let's do more. Yes, let's do more. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And um, are there any socials you want to plug? I know you've plugged them. Yeah. So let's drink food. Yeah. Drink F U D. Yeah. yeah, please do follow and take solace. Yeah, S O L I S. Perfect, and I'll add all of the information to the description as well, so you can all easily tag on, you know, click on it and everything. But thank you so much for listening to this podcast episode, everyone. Please do like, share, subscribe, um, share this with anyone that you know might find it useful from a business perspective or if they're suffering a sickle cell as well. Um, and follow Philip, drink feud, solace. And don't forget to connect with Black Crate Connect on all socials and connect with our community if you haven't already. And yeah, thank you so much for, for checking this episode out. Take care. Bye. Peace.